Well, hola, day night family. This hola. is yes, hola. It feels just feels like an hola day. Tony here with beautiful Bree, and we're not looking in each other's eyes because we'll start cracking up. We're being silly today. As always, we are excited to hang with you all and trust that you're walking in the grace and peace of our Lord. And I gotta say from the start, we are over the moon for today's pod. I mean, yes. if you could see us, we're giddy. In the old days I'd say woo woo. <laughs> that is so nineteen ninety-nine. Raise the roof. <laughs> All right, so we're going to change things up and do them a little different and just jump right into this double date because, number one, we know this couple has an incredible story, and then number two, we just want to give it as much time. I guess those are the same things. This is number one and number two. We just want to give it time. You want to set it up for us? Sure. Pastor James Coates is the pastor of Grace Life in Alberta and is married to my sweet sister and friend, Aaron. Aaron. And back in 2021, during COVID, James opened up the church for worship, and the authorities arrested him and put him in federal prison. And that was when his wifey, Erin, was thrust into the national spotlight and just stood so boldly in defense of her husband and the Church of Christ. Yeah, truly a wonderful couple. And we get to hang, get a backstage pass. I mean, the world pretty much saw James taken off in cups. In cups. (laughs) The world saw, I'm sorry, James and Erin. The world saw you taken off in cuffs, and everyone saw Aaron on Fox News, but what was it like as a couple behind the scenes? Mm. Yay, here they are now. All right. Well, this is going to be a fun one. So four, three, two, one. Boom. Let's get it started. A big Orange County hello to our Canadian friends. Really a couple that needs no introduction. Yes. The Mr. and Mrs. Coates. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, guys. It's great to be here. So let's cut right to the chase. Um, This is the question I've been wondering for a long time. Are you considered famous yet in Canada? Like, Like when you walk into a Starbucks, do people whisper, James, do they say that's James Coates? I would say no. I would say I I still enjoy a degree of um, the opposite of infamy is it or anonymity? whatever it is. Um, a degree of yeah, that? What about your wife? Yeah, is I, it, do people say, there's Aaron? Uh, no. You know what? It's, it's hard sometimes because people do look at us and then you realize, oh, we're wearing all of these shirts people have sent us while James was in jail or or we're wearing something like government isn't God and we need to obey God. And uh, so it's hard to tell whether they know who we are or whether they just don't like us. <laughs> <laughs> They're disappointed in your, in your style choice. Understood. Yeah. We've gone places where people have definitely recognized us um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Canadians are pretty polite. So even if they did recognize us out, um, there are times we've been out at Costco and Aaron said, Oh, I think those folks recognized us or whatever. Some people will come up to us and say hi. And that that's wonderful. Um, but I think either Canadians are very polite or unsupportive of our stance. They kind of just avoid that's us. That's true. You guys are polarizing, right? It's going to be one way or the other. They're either a raving fan or they don't want to talk to you. Right. Or should I say a instead of right? Is that, is that, is it an A? <laughs> we say A like you say, huh? Got it. <laughs> a? Very good. <laughs> yeah, for A, A effectively turns a statement into uh, a question, invoking okay. a response. Okay, all right. So what do you think, sweetie? Should so it's we... Like, um... it's, like, it's like, man, it is so hot right now, A. Oh, so you have to... It's in the form of a question, yes. A? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, and I use huh now, to be honest. My time in L.A. at at the master seminary, uh, A is rare for me. I I have adopted the huh. I think it's cooler. <laughs> I agree. I think it is cooler. And were we ever at the seminary together at the same time? What years were you in the demon? I was there August 07 to May 2010. Okay. What about the... And then the doctor ministry was, uh, oh boy, July 2017, and then graduated in May 2020. Yeah, so we would have been there that first Bye. that first year together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a great program, life changing. Well, in all seriousness, Absolutely. we need to do some introductions because there may yes. be, although you're famous around the world, there may be a few people who don't know everything about you. And so Bree and I thought it would be fun to do some some interesting, fun introductions. And yes. the big one that I was intrigued by was your ice cream choice, James. This is not something many people know, but your wife gave it away. I asked, what is James' favorite ice yeah. cream? And she said, pray lean. What, 
What is praline? I don't even know what that is, let alone an ice cream. Pralines and cream. Did that not come through? <laughs> yeah, it's it's pralines and cream, and it's it's in particular pralines and cream from Baskin and Robbins. Okay. So right. it's not just any pralines and cream. It is pralines and cream from Baskin and Robbins. And a praline, like I don't even know what that is. I think it's it's manufactured. It has the um, the consistency and texture of a, a kind of nut. But I don't think it's an actual um, nut that that grows in the earth. It's 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 like a a, a manufactured. This is fascinating. Thing. We're learning and, new yeah, lessons so about pralines and cream. Okay. It's got like you know either caramel or butterscotch with vanilla ice cream. It's yeah. phenomenal. And uh, so if you're near a Baskin and Robbins, you need to order yourself some pralines. Okay, and cream. I'm going with you on that. And what I want to do is all the listeners, everyone who's never had pralines and cream, let's all go out. And then let's have pralines and cream tonight in honor of James. <laughs> Love it. We'll say this is in honor of James. If you like it, great. If not, doesn't matter. It was for James. And Aaron, Bree told me your favorite mo- movie is Sound of Music. Is that yes. the one? Because that's our daughter's favorite. That's the one where the lady twirls around all, all the time in the hills and sings songs. Is that the one? The hills. The hills. Are can alive. you? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to sing it for us? <laughs> And can you guys tell us a little bit about your love story? How did you guys meet? Well, I think you got to tell your part of the story because it yours predates mine. Okay. My, <laughs> my love story with him predates his love story with me. Okay. Um, well, so Erin knew I existed before I knew she existed. Oh, she was creeping on and, you. And so that's right. she's, she's creeping. She's Stalking. totally creeping on me. <laughs> totally. Checking out my calves. <laughs> I want to hear this calf story. Okay, Hashtag dad calf. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, the first time I ever saw James was his baptism. And that was February 5th. 2005. And actually I was a youth leader at our church. We went to the same church. Um, we both lived crazy moral lives and then, um, the Lord dramatically saved us. And we ended up at the church that I actually grew up in as a child that I had left when I was 18. And so it was pretty a large church by that point. We were at over a thousand people. Um, and so the first time I saw him, uh, was his baptism. And I actually wasn't supposed to be there that weekend. I was supposed to be at a youth retreat, but my police check hadn't come in in time. And so I was upset that I was at the church that Sunday and, uh, and it was baptism Sunday and I saw James and you have to understand, like I am on fire for the Lord. I cannot believe God would save somebody like me. So there's young men who are kind of, you know, asking me out for coffee and, and I'm just thinking, like, where is your zeal for Jesus? Like, you have been brought from death to life. Like, where is your excitement? Um, and so when I saw James give his testimony for his baptism, I was like, whoa, that is the kind of man I want to marry. And uh, never really, I, I saw him a couple times after that and was going to encourage him that his testimony was super encouraging to me. But uh, we just never, ever had that moment where he wasn't talking to somebody or I wasn't talking to somebody. And then I just kind of forgot about him um, until six months later when his name had been brought up, we were recruiting for uh, youth leaders for the junior high boys and his name had come up and I was like, Oh, I want to talk to him. (laughs) (laughs) But the whole, the, the calves thing. So there was one time in September of 2005, I'm standing in line to get a hot dog at our fall festival. And he walks up right beside me and he's looking at something. And I look down, and I noticed his shoes. He's wearing Nike shocks, but I was a competitive gymnast. And we had this thing that we were always looking at people's calves. I know it's weird, <laughs> but we did it. <laughs> we were just always looking and judging people by their calves. So I noticed he had athletic calves. And so I looked at his shoes and was like, oh, he's got athletic calves. And then he walked away. I never connected with him in that moment. And it was just because we both weren't ready um, at that time to meet each other. The Lord was still doing a work in each of our hearts for okay, us. Okay, well, we have, we're going to have to play a love song there, Ethan, for them, just because this is, <laughs> this is where it all began, the calves. So um, I, I just, I, I really want to know the, um, there's so many things about that story that we need to know. 
But um, where does it go from there? Like, how did you skip from calves to the first look or the first glance? Does James turn around and say, there's a gymnast. She looked at my calves. Now I'm, what, what, what happened next? You didn't even know. You didn't well, know. so I didn't know Erin until she approached me after a service on a Sunday and invited me to come to a meeting later that day to be the uh, grade seven boys youth leader. So she like ran up, was super excited. I was wearing a shirt me. that said, just be yourself. And it had a B on it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't recall that. Um, oh, my. Aaron always remembers. So she deal, used the come but, and join uh, me in ministry deal. Let's serve together. Wow. Yeah. And, and she was like, I mean, she was really excited. I was saying yes to everything at that point in time. I mean, I was like on the tech team and security and I was serving in an alpha program and I was just saying yes to everything. So when she came, I was already saying yes, and then she was super cute, so I thought, well, for sure. Um, yeah, I'd love to be there. So um, so anyway, and as I, as I recall, and, and she doesn't recall this, but she, like, ran out of the, the sanctuary and, like, did, like, a hop with, like, a, a fist pump into the air. And I thought, man, she's got a lot of personality. And uh, But what I was actually doing was I jumped to touch the, like um, – the doorways because I'm only five foot two and a half. So I jump to see if I can, I can hit them. I'm pretty sure that's what I was doing. Cause I'm like, I don't remember. That's weird. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> well, staring at calves is weird too, but who knows a, a gymnast, um, and a gymnast would jump to touch a doorway. I can totally see that. Absolutely. Right, sweetie. Yes. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. So what a beautiful love story. Um, are you willing to Help us give give us a little bit of insight on the church. We know that Grace Life has become really in many ways. We joke about fame, but like it really has become a well known church because of all that transpired a couple of years ago. For you guys, though, as the pastor and the shepherd, and then as the pastor's wife, what's the most beautiful thing about Grace Life for you guys? Yeah, I think that the quality that stands out to me that has been there from the get go is a love for the Word of God. And so I've been able to come study God's word, open God's word, preach God's word. And they have always relished that there's never been pushback on the preaching of God's word. And so I think that's, that's critical. And then connected to that, because I think it's, it's birthed from that is the fellowship. We have always been a church that fellowships. And so when it comes time to, you know, the service is over and, and people are free to go home. Our people hang around. They stay with one another. They they minister to each other. There's always been a desire and a hunger to be together as the body of Christ. And so I think those two qualities stand out, even to the point where we've had guest speakers come in and and then following the service, there's um, there's there's certainly a buzz in the air and, and they can see our people are hanging around and, and fellowshipping and, and they're like, is this for me? You know, like, is this, is this unique? Cause it's, it's unique to them. And, and I'm just like, no, this is what we do. I mean, this is every Sunday. Uh, there's definitely a buzz in the air after that sermon. So be encouraged. But as far as the folks being here and fellowshipping, this is what we do every single Sunday. So I think the love for God's word and the fellowship that is birthed out of that, and even the way as people come to Grace Life, it's always connected to a desire and hunger for the truth, and 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 then they're integrated into that that fellowship, and they come to love that fellowship as well. So I think those two qualities stand out to me the most. How about you, Aaron? Oh, wow. Well, all of what J- James just said, but, um, you know, we were babies stepping into ministry. I was 29, James was 30. And so we really have grown with Grace Life and she is really our heart. She loves Christ. I think that is the most beautiful thing about her. Um, and when you love Christ, you'll obey his commandments. And so she has a, a standard of holiness that's just really encouraging um, the uh, servant's hearts. They're just, they're our family. They're, you know, they're our heart. So, um, I can't say enough good things about Grace Life. I mean, we're we're a bunch of sinners trying to live life together and glorify God in that. But man, um, yeah, she is. I pinch myself all the time that we get to minister at Grace Life. She looks very different now after what we've been through, and that's gonna that's a time of transition. But um, yeah, she just she loves the Lord, and I love that about her. Well, let's let's do this. Let's transition to the story that most people will know. 
from the outside. So all of us recognize the the images on the news and um, handcuffs, and then you know your wife on Tucker Carlson. So we all have that view. Um, are you guys willing to kind of take us behind the scenes a little bit and just recount the story? Um, maybe just summarize again the story for everybody from your perspective when in 2021 you were taken away based on your commitment to the local church? Yeah, well, like everyone, when everything began to unfold, we wrestled, felt the tension right off the hop between Romans 13 and Hebrews 10, 25, but opted to comply initially. And during that time of compliance, we were, as a leadership, gathering data, evaluating what was going on, assessing the response of the governing authorities and whether it was appropriate in light of the virus and what was taking place. And as the months went on and the first declared health emergency lapsed in June, we had come to the conclusion that it was necessary to open our doors and, and not, not demand that people return, but simply open our doors and let, let our people decide for themselves I preached a sermon on Romans 13 called Putting Government in Its Place. I just pointed out really obviously that there are limits on governmental authority. We all recognize that, that there comes a point when obedience to the governing authorities is actually sin against Christ, at which point we can no longer comply with the governing authorities. And I preached on the paragraph with Hebrews 10.25 in it and and pointed out that, that not coming together to stimulate one another for, for the, the love and good deeds that we're called to exercise is, is a text that comes uh, right before a, a warning of apostasy, that coming together as the body of Christ and, and, and being stimulated unto love and good deeds is critical to p- persevering. So, um, so we, we kind of, I preached those two sermons and that really set the the tone for both the leadership and the congregation to be ready to open. There would have been folks that were ready sooner than that. And there were certainly a couple of folks that, that weren't ready to open at that point, but we were ready to do that. So we opened and apart for a couple of Sundays that we did go to live stream because we did have a couple of cases that, that uh, touched our gatherings. Uh, we were, we were open. We opened uh, after that two Sundays, I think it was in Toward the end of July, it was really, I think, actually the weekend uh, that Grace Community Church came out with their statement. And so we we reopened our doors. We only kind of closed our doors for those two weeks to just make sure we weren't just in this cycle of continually spreading the virus. And, and from that point on, we were open for 37 Sundays until we were kicked out of our facility and, and didn't have a single outbreak of COVID-19. And even the cases that we had in June of 2020 were not like a spreading oriented thing. They were individuals who came to the gathering with mild symptoms, subsequently tested positive. And, uh, and then even with all our own contact tracing and everything else, uh, there was no evidence of any spread of the virus. So, so we were open and, and, and things were open up in Alberta in the summer of 2020 and things were going fairly smoothly until the second declared public health emergency that took place in uh, November of 2020. And at that point in time, we began to get complaints from the community around our, our church facility. And, uh, and, and that was garnering the attention of Alberta Health Services. We were getting phone calls. They were starting to come to our church on Sunday mornings to just kind of see what we were doing. And, and that began to escalate to the point that on December 13th, um, they, the AHS came with the RCMP into our gathering to, uh, observe what was taking place. And that's when things really began to heat up and I sensed that they were going to heat up. So I ended up preaching a sermon the following Sunday on, you know, why we need to keep our church open called, uh, the time has come. And I, I realized what that, I named it that the time has come. And I, I wrestled with why I couldn't get away from that title and I realize what it is, that the time has come for us to stand and do so in such a way that there's going to be confrontation between the, the true church of Jesus Christ and the governing authorities. So the time has come that the persecution that we have anticipated for, for years is now here. And so, um, so I preached that sermon. Things got 
even crazier after that because that sermon went went viral. Um, I was on the six o'clock news with sermon excerpts from that um, from that sermon and and one that like climaxed in declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we were just shocked. We couldn't believe they used that excerpt. We were we were just thrilled. It was mm. so invigorating. And so you know things were dicey at that point in time because it was the week of Christmas. I was wondering whether I was going to get a knock on my door. Um, I had Tim Stevens, who was later imprisoned as well, saying, you're like the, hatest man, the, the most hated man in Alberta. And, uh, and so anyway, it was just week to week from that point on until things escalated into my first uh, arrest. And, uh, and then my second one, February 14th, that resulted in my imprisonment because I wouldn't sign the condition of my release. So the governing authorities effectively used every avenue they could. They used the courts. They used the media the court of public opinion, they used the RCMP, they tried everything they possibly could to get us to submit to their edicts with respect to limits on worship, which was ultimately a usurping of the authority of Christ over his church. And we just graciously and courageously refused to do that. And that resulted in 35 days in Edmonton Remand Center, a maximum security prison. And, um, and then even upon my release, our, we, we gathered again and our church was locked up uh, later that week. And we became, we, we became the underground church of Canada, just going from undisclosed location to undisclosed location. That's when, as I recall, you know, those pictures would pop up of you or videos uh, of you in an overcoat out in the middle of the woods or snow is falling. Is that, is that about that time? Yeah, it was yeah. April. Um, our church was locked up April 7th. So it was the Sunday after that. That uh, we were, yeah, it was cold. So, <laughs> so we've got all these images in our mind of you know because in our you know, down here down here we're all opening we're we're following suit and then we're all you know crying and weeping. We have these images of you guys you know hugging that last time and getting in the car, and, and it's not like we knew you well, um, but our church is praying because it's brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'll never forget that. You know, I'm I'm getting up to preach and I'm like getting on my knees and just you know we're all weeping for you guys take us behind the scenes to maximum security prison. You know, as, as a man, it's one thing, you know, we leave our home, we're tough, we, we're, we're doing what we got to do. But then when you actually go into lockup and there's other guys there who are there for legitimate reasons, take, take, take us behind the scenes there. What's, what was prison like? Obviously, I'm assuming they treated you well because you were very well known at that point. But what was some of the hardest, what was one of the low points of prison? Yeah, it's tough for me to even get get back into my headspace on that. I mean, there were certainly Erin looks like she wants to chime in. No, okay. <laughs> there was certainly as I was being transitioned from. Yeah, it's difficult. You know what? Honestly, from day to day, you could have intense highs and intense lows. It was volatile from moment to moment, from day to day. So I could be on cloud nine with encouragement in one moment, and then be in utter despair, having like an Elijah, you know, Daniel moment where I'm, I'm, I'm begging God for help. And, you know, I, so I experienced everything. One of the hard points was transitioning from being in quarantine to general population, because that would mean that I'd have a little less, a little more freedom, but in se- in a sense, a little less uh, protection because uh, I'd now be interacting more with the, the inmates. And so, there, there was, there were some efforts. I would say by the enemy, by Satan himself, uh, but there could have been also some some human intent behind it as well, to 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 scare me about that transition. That I was not going to be safe transitioning into general population, and part of that was because the news was painting me as a white supremacist because of the way that certain. Um, rallies were being characterized as having tiki torches in them and stuff like that. And so there were just different things that were happening that were there to disrupt my, my resolve. Not that it would have, I mean, I, I couldn't sign the condition either way, but I really didn't want to, um, you know, either die, I guess, in prison or be beat horrifically bad, badly. So, um, so anyway, there was one moment in particular where the intensity of that, um, really rose and I began to pray. And while I was praying, it was kind of like the Lord sent his angel, the, the chaplain 
who was there to comfort me and strengthen me showed up and, and asked me to come and see him. So I got called out of my cell, entered into a room and I just shared with him my fear. And he said, you got nothing to worry about. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. And he just kind of calmed my fears and, uh, and he was right. So, yeah, I mean, um, you know, there was a huge adjustment early on to try and figure out how are the guys going to relate to me? Also, just to get to know the culture, the way things work in prison, how food is even served and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and, and God was just with me the whole time. The, the same providence that I've experienced in my life in every other sphere, every other time I experienced in prison, the same God who is the good shepherd in every other situation is there with me in prison. And, uh, and so I got to see, I got to see this, the same loving providence of God in prison as I do wow, everywhere else. So good. Wow. And friend, would you be able to take us into the marital side? What was it like behind the scenes as a wife? Yeah. Uh, well the, the first like really, um, definitive moment for me was when James came to me and said, like I could end up in prison and he was, I could tell he was in distress, <laughs> resolved, but in distress. Um, and so I made him lunch and I just kind of sat there as I watched him eat and we finished up lunch and he went upstairs and I cleaned up and then I went into the bathroom and I cried and I just said, Lord, if you're asking me for my marriage, here it is. Cause I've always been taught you live with an open hand. Um, the Lord will give, he will take away depending on, how he chooses and that he will be glorified by that. So that's, that was really what um, was undergirding my thinking. Now, when they took him, what was really hard for me was um, he had, he turned himself in and he had this feeling like he was coming home and I know feelings are subjective, but I just felt like I'm not going to see him. Like this is, he's not coming back, <laughs> which prepared my heart for, what he was facing and our communication was very cut off. Um, so that was really hard. Like I did not have direct access to him. I couldn't go visit him. I couldn't just call him on the phone. Um, and so those moments were, were really hard. It was very, it was very dark. Um, like the enemy just struck in a way I don't think I've ever experienced in my Christian life before. Um, and you have the government, you have the media, the way the, the governing, um, the opposing parties were talking about James, were just calling him names, painting him as this vile, like murderer, white supremacist. So I'm getting a lot of hate and, and, but not as much as I could have, the Lord really, really protected me from that. And then I had a lot of Christians during that time, professing Christians that were telling me to sit down. Um, and so there was a lot of dark moments, but there was so many moments where I experienced the power of God in a way I've never experienced before either. And, uh, just a few months, I think it was the summer, the summer before we kind of went through everything. I was reading a book and I, I think it was Joel Beakey. He said, there has never been a day when God has not been good to me. And so that was another thing that really undergirded my thinking um, that there's never been a day where God has not been good to me and he's not going to abandon me in my darkest hour. And it's hard because, you know, he, he had been away for his doctorate. You'd go away for what, two, three weeks. And that's hard for us to be apart for that. But when he's gone and I don't know when he's coming back, if he's coming back, because um, at any time they could have called in a violation that could have had him in prison for two years. And so I don't know what's happening. So, but I know I have to fight. So I know I have to fight to keep the story out in front. Cause I'd asked my lawyer, I said, James, you know, I know the heart of man. They, they grab onto what's happening in the moment and then something else happens and they move on and they forget. And I said, what happens when they forget? And he said, it's up to you, Aaron, you have to keep this story out in front. And I was like, okay, then I've got to keep doing podcasts and keep getting the word out there um, that this is happening to us in Canada of all places. And so I did as many podcasts as I could. Um, and obviously the Tucker uh, got a hold of our story, but it was really hard to be apart from him. I mean, not only are we one through marriage, but he's my best friend. Like, like we, we do everything together. We laugh together. We cry together. Like, so yeah, it was really hard. Um, 
but I knew like through, through the podcast, actually what had happened, my first interview was a woman who is pretty prominent in Canada. She's not mainstream media, but her video will have millions of views on it. And she had said to me, um, you know, Aaron, the majority of my viewers are unbelievers. And I thought, oh, well, this is my chance to share the gospel. <laughs> like, like no one's going to understand James or our church if I don't share the gospel. So uh, this is my chance to share the gospel. And really, that was what drove me uh, during the time that he was in jail was to just be able to share the gospel as much as I could um, to, to show why Grace Life was, was meeting, what she was doing, that she was the blood-bought body of Christ, that we had to gather in obedience to him. Um, and really seek to undo what they had done to him in the media. So I was his voice mm. at that point. Um, but again, like he would, he would have what two two fifteen minute breaks for the first two weeks where he was allowed out of his cell. There was actually one time where he was in his cell for 24 hours and they didn't let him out. And they're not actually allowed to do that. That like by law, they're not supposed to do that. So they were doing all of these things to him to intimidate him, to get him to break um, and so he would call me and we would talk for like two minutes and then he'd be like, I have to go. Mm. I'd like hear a guard in the back and he'd be like, I have to go. And then he'd mm. slam down the phone and I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, like there was one time he called during church. Cause I can't, I can't just, Oh, he's calling. I I'm, I'm in a meeting or a podcast. And I'd be like, Hey, James is here. I gotta <laughs> go. <laughs> um, so that was really hard. Uh, one Sunday he actually got to hear the church singing. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, I remember a phone call he made where we were just beginning service and he had said something like he wasn't tempted to sign, but he was like, if ever I was tempted to sign, it's now because he was really missing the gathering. So that was hard for me to know that he was feeling that way um, and just trying to encourage him as much as I could and, and use the time that we had on the phone to tell him what is happening. Like all of these testimonies are coming from all over the world and Um, there's some hate, absolutely some hate, but there was so much good and people getting saved and churches having courage to stand. And, um, John MacArthur had sent me a message and, uh, I was able to play that for him Mm. on the phone, which was really encouraging for him and just be like, like, wow. You know, cause if John MacArthur, you know, as his mentor, um, wasn't standing with us, you'd kind of start going, okay, are we actually in the right here or... (laughs) Well, and for me, there wasn't any question about whether he would support our stand. I knew he would. But for him to reach out like that and send along a word of encouragement to me, I mean, that was that was cloud nine for sure. Can I mean, you expand? Was, um, I'm going to probe there just a little bit, James. She holds up the phone. So I'm guessing she calls you or you call her. She holds up the phone. She's at church and you're hearing the sheep and they're singing and, and they're, they're about to feast on the word from one of the other brothers at the church or something. What, what was that like to be in a prison cell and to hear the church praise? Well, I think, it, it, again, tough to get back into the moment now, but I, I, I think that the, the sense of it would have been just a great satisfaction that I was in prison to ensure that mm-hmm. they could do that. And, and so, yes, did I want to be there? Of course I did. But but to know that they were able to worship the Lord Jesus Christ uh, because I, because I was in prison at that moment was um, that would have been immensely satisfying. That's to beautiful. Me. That's so Pauline. All right. So I, I want to play real quickly a clip, which you referred to because I would love to hear James, your response to this. I'm assuming you've heard it a thousand times and that you have already responded, but there was a moment in that Tucker interview where the questions were normal to be expected. And I don't know how much he fed you, Aaron, but, um, or gave you a heads up what was going to be asked. But in that final answer, it was like, there, this is a woman who is, is clearly filled by the spirit and you proclaim the gospel and you move from earthly matters and you come up to heavenly things and principalities. And it is so well done that I think, Brie, you would say the same, right? Yes. Anybody who ever listens to this in that moment, it's like you just want to fall to your knees yes. um, and say, thank you, Lord, for not only who you are, but the way you work through people. Yeah. So what I would love to do is I'm going to play it. And then James, I know you're hyperanalytical and you're not an emotional guy, but I know that. But I would just love to hear your take on your wife's final answer to, to Tucker's question. So here, let's let, let's let her rip. Do you believe, that's in this country, do you believe your husband was singled out because he's a Christian pastor. 
Well, I have to believe that the enemy is singling him out. We have a real enemy who really hates the Lord Jesus Christ and really hates the blood body that he purchased on the cross and has given new life to. Um, yes, we have an absolute real enemy and he uses people to target the ministers of God. We know that through scripture. We know that through church history. And so I really believe that they are being targeted in our country. I think there was actually more. Was there any more? Is that all we got? Okay. James. Well, yeah, I think, I think we're the perfect team. You know, I think, um, I think in God's providence, my wife is like the female version of me. And, and I, in saying that I'm not trying to, to, to take any credit there, but we're just a phenomenal team. So when I go into prison, they think they're going to silence me and then my wife's going to pop up and, and she's going to, you know, herald the truth as well. So yeah, I just, just proud of her. Um, you know, obviously grateful to the Lord and the way that he enabled her to work in that time and speak in that time, but for her to have a robust theology, to be able to, to enter into that arena and, and hold her own and, 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 and beyond just, um, yeah, just blessed. And, and really God gets the glory because it's his work in us. And, um, yeah, I just think we're a phenomenal team. I love that. You, they, they knock you down and she pops up. It's I mean, like whack-a-mole. Like Coach is whack-a-mole. <laughs> Remember that at Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> what I like to say is, is that when she, and she's had some other moments too, that you could have put up that, articulate a biblical ecclesiology and i'm like man she says it better than i do so um so yeah the lord the lord is good and um that was certainly an important moment we think in in my release coming about what impact did it have on the kids i know that's personal but what was it like for the boys yeah i think um it it impacted them for good uh our oldest he he was just turning 18. You were in jail for his 18th birthday. And uh, I saw him step up in a way um, that I've never seen him step up before. He, he's, I remember at church, we were at church one Sunday and there, it's the first Sunday he's in prison and people are flooding into the building and I'm sitting there trying to regroup because <laughs> obviously mm. he's not there. And someone had come up and said, is this seat taken? And it was James's seat. And, and I, it took everything in me not to cry. <laughs> and uh, I said, yes, it's taken. And then my son came up and he sat there and he said he would take that seat until dad came home, that he would manage um, the the things that dad managed around the home. And so I think I really watched him in that time and, and even after, and even his, his friends have noted it too, that he became a man in that moment. Um, he had said to me, uh, and he's very, he's very, um, emotional. So he, he, he shed a lot of tears more so than our youngest and, uh, and, and just the real, he knew what was happening. Whereas our youngest was still relatively sheltered a little bit. Um, but he, he knew what was happening to dad in there, but we really saw him become a man through that. And he started to go like anything in my life could change at any moment. And am I seriously living for Christ? And uh, so that just kind of put wind in his sail um, to be to be more faithful to the Lord and and that this could happen to him, too. So we saw that happen. And then with our youngest, he um, he started more struggling near the end, I think, was when he really started to feel it. Um, He's a daddy's boy and loves his dad but he was kind of like man we're getting all these gifts and attention and i don't like the fact that dad's in jail but you know um sure is great that we're seeing everybody all the time so uh for him he definitely i think that started a wrestling in his heart to start to to realize like um like who is the lord and i need to take this seriously so yeah so much it was hard it was very hard for them um but uh, but our church did such an amazing job of loving us and caring for us. Um, so that lessened the blow, I think, for them. Um, but they just handled everything so well when you were when you were gone. Like when I did podcasts, they were caring for everything. And um, so, yeah, just a really they were amazing during that time. In January of this year, I was supposed to preach at a conference in Florida with founders and I was going to have to drive to the the U S border, try and get over the border. 
and then fly from within the U.S. Uh, to Florida. And it was hard on Caleb at that time because it was about the same time of year. Um, and, uh, and just that I was going by myself, he, he struggled with that. And it was just reminding him of me going to jail a year earlier. Mm -hmm. So, so there was, there was a lasting impact on him and he, he had some moments where he struggled with the memory of it, but I don't think either of our children was in any way harmed by it. They were benefited by it in every way. And, um, yeah, when I look at the stand that we took and the cost that it came with, the Lord has blessed us immensely and I would do it again in a heart. Yeah. Grace life really is the perfect name for your entire life. It just, the whole thing. Are you, are you guys, um, willing to share, and this is personal and I hadn't even planned to ask this. So say no, if you don't want to answer, but like, you know, obviously Christ bonds you guys together in your marriage. You're one in him. And so for every date night listener, we all believe that and we we trust that. But when you mentioned earlier that your teammates, what would you say makes you guys teammates? What's the one thing about Aaron? What's the one thing about James where you're like, you know, that's just the thing about him or the thing about her that I love being around and makes makes he or she so fun? What what bonds you together at a at a more human level, phileo level? Well, that's a great question because as you ask that question, that's not where my mind goes. I mean, my mind, my mind goes, it's our love for Christ. It's our love for the truth. I think that Erin is a huge asset to me in ministry because she's as committed to the things that I am and sometimes more so, which is, which is helpful. So I'm never having to bring my wife along in ministry, but she's, um, she's a huge support, my greatest encouragement and and so I think it's our love for Christ and the truth that make us a wonderful team. Unlike the more human end of it, um, my wife has had all this time now to think about how she'd answer that question. So I'm going to pass it over to her. And I'll take some time to think about it and then come back with my own response. I I just thoroughly enjoy James. Um, so he's funny. He his laugh just he, and he's loud. So. Um, he does, he has these antics in the house where he's either singing or he's like talking to the dog, but he, when he talks to her, he does this really funny voice. And if you're our neighbors, you just think we're yelling at each other all the time, but it's so funny. And, uh, so he's just always like, when he comes down the stairs, he's like, family, <laughs> like just always doing something like that. Right. So when he went to jail, it was eerily quiet in the home. And so we all know James is the one, he brings a lot of life uh, to the home. So, and then we can just go out, whether we, we call it gallivanting. So we'll, we'll go and window shop. And uh, when we were in Florida, he took me to every Brooks brothers store within a 50 mile radius. <laughs> so we can just spend time together like that or go out and have a games night and have fun. Like, He's the one that I want to share my heart with, that I want to laugh with. Um, yeah, I. We laugh together a lot, and and it's not even just me. Like my wife is very funny, so there are lots of times that we fall into uncontrollable laughter, and and moments that we'll like reflect on and and call to mind and laugh all over again <laughs> with respect to. So we and then we like we like things the same way we like our home the same way we like we just like life to kind of go the same way so we're we're just a really good fit and well um, people do not know this about you james that you are a loud person at least in general so can you give us a kind of a glimpse of of you coming down the stairs can you sing family no i don't think i can (laughs) at this moment all right family i I just want to hear the baritone it's it's gotta be (laughs) Be, I've got different songs that I like to sing. This is such and, a great nugget and, that no uh, one knows. The, the whole house is alive yeah, no, with I, your music. So, like, it's funny because growing up as a kid, my dad would often call often call me a ham. I'd be hamming it up, and Caleb is the mini me on that, in that regard. He is a ham, and so when yesterday he was out all day, and the house was so quiet, he comes home and he's just like making all this noise saying nothing at all. And I'm like, he's just a mini version of me. And uh, anyway, yeah, I, I like to have a good time. There was that we were at church camp a couple of weeks ago and there was the wedding 
the marriage game where they ask the wife questions and the husband's questions, but we weren't on the panel, but we always like sit and answer the questions. And one of the questions was, what's the first thing your husband does when he gets home? And he's like, take my slippers off. And I'm like, no, it's not. You hang on. You it's my slippers <laughs> on. <laughs> And uh, I'm like, no, it's not. You you tell Lucy not to smell your jeans. So he walks in the door and he has like, he'll put his hands in there and be like, don't smell my jeans, Lucy. Because she wants <laughs> and to. She's and she's your me. mastiff. Is that right? She's a mastiff. She's 13 yeah, years old. Lucy is your big dog. <clears throat> so the first thing when he gets home yeah. is don't smell my jeans. So what happens is this. When I get home, you'll just hear her like her nails on the floor. Like she's walking to the door and, and she wants to smell my jeans, which means she wants to put her nose on her wet nose on my jeans. Well, I can't stand when she puts her wet nose on my jeans. So I don't let her. And as she's coming over, I'll say, don't smell my jeans, Lucy. And then you know, go into this whole like barking song and dance. And uh, it's really a hoot. I don't want you to smell my jeans. Your home sounds like an incredibly <laughs> joyful place. I want to drive to Alberta and just, just walk in. You might, well, I won't smell your jeans, but I, I just want to, I just want to be there. So real quick, I know that everyone knows the, the, the kind of what's been the climax of your story so far, but that's not even close to the end. It's just beginning. What's next for Grace Life? I know, James, you just finished a book. Um, what's it called? Where do we get it? Well, yeah, there's a book that is either out or on the cusp of coming out called Preaching and Hearing God's Word. And it's effectively, it's my Doctor of Ministry project flipped into a book. And uh, it focuses on the essence of preaching, establishes a really solid, clear, biblical, robust, theological understanding of preaching, and, and that with a view toward, well, if this is what preaching is, then how then ought we to listen? So it seeks to do both, establish a sound theology of preaching as well as uh, a proper theology of listening. And so it's through G3. G3 has published it. It should be available uh, on Amazon in in no time, and so so that's out. As far as Grace Life is concerned, um, it's just carry on, do the work of the ministry. It's just lather, rinse, repeat, preach the word in season and out. The goal of all ministry is to present every man, woman, and child complete in Christ, and and that's a work that isn't done until the Lord returns. So we just labor for the sanctification of our people. And, and that's a, that's not even just a, a pastoral responsibility. That's a whole corporate body responsibility as we practice the one another's and as we equip the saints to do the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And so, so yeah, the nothing, you know, there's nothing new and exciting, just carry on doing the same old thing to the glory mm-hmm. of God and, um, and, and seek to be faithful all the way to the end. Well, Aaron, I heard you're speaking at Shep Wives. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah. Um, you know, you know, sometimes where you are asked to do something and you're kind of like, what am I doing here? <laughs> That's kind of how I feel when Susan Heck and uh, Martha Peace asked me to speak at this. But um, we have really seen um, wives struggling, struggling with their love of the church, um, supporting their husbands in ministry, uh, lots of counseling is happening with pastors' wives, just not even wanting to be in ministry. And so that's been a burden uh, on my heart for a while. And I've been talking to Susan um, probably for the last year or so, and us just really recognizing there's a huge need with pastors' wives to really um, minister to these women and to to get them to a place where they are loving the church and they are supporting their husbands in ministry. Because if they're not loving the church and supporting their husbands in ministry, I, I just feel so badly for those men um, because that is a very difficult place to be. And so we really wanted to have a conference, uh, much like Shepherd's Conference, but uh, for the wives to really minister to them so that they can go back into their local churches uh, strong. I Not everyone, I mean, I have what, six, there's six of us in total on our leadership. And I am such good friends with our elders' wives. We 
we do life together. We love one another. We pray for each other. We just, we, we love each other. But I recognize that not all pastor's wives have that in their life and uh, have the blessing of the women that I, I run with on a daily basis in ministry. Um, and so we want to be able to have a place where they can come and they can group together and uh, we can really just encourage them and then send them back into their local churches. Uh, and so I will be teaching on, um, I don't know what it's called yet, but it's going to be something like the non-negotiable of loving the, awesome. the bride. Um, and then I'm doing a breakout session on um, how to handle trials. And it was funny because Susan's like, like what? Like, you're going to talk about um, like people attacking you. And I was like, probably no more. Like, what do you do when your husband goes to jail? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, just just really um, wanting the women to pursue Christ and uh, and everything else is going to fall in place from there. So I'm excited. Uh, ho- hopefully I'm going to be able to meet uh, a lot of women that I've been in contact with. And you know, the invite is for you guys oh, to come Oh, I can't too, wait. So. I can't wait. I hope a lot of our... Yeah, the pressure's on now. What am I supposed to say? No, <laughs> you can't go. We need you here. So real real quick, guys, what would be for all the listeners out there, they're in their marriages, they, you know, they're they're learning all this for the first time. They're getting grounded in the word. They have come to to faith in Christ. They've bent their knee to his lordship. The marriages are trying to figure themselves out. What would be one little nugget of truth that you would give to all the marriages to say, hey, you know, this is something that that we'd recommend for you guys to try? Well, I think a marriage needs to be gospel centered because inevitably we're going to sin against each other. And when sin does take place, I think it's important to deal with it in a very intentional way, a confessing of sin, articulating what it is that was wrong, why it's wrong, and then an asking for forgiveness and the spouse then forgiving um, the other for that. And I think a lot of couples early on don't really approach their sin that way. Issues go unresolved. There often can be a record of wrongs. And then they end up 10 years later in the counseling arena. And there's all this unresolved conflict that ends up impacting every new conflict. And it becomes a, a tangled mess that has to be resolved. And I think if people can keep short accounts in their marriage, if couples can do that, and, and not let sin continue on, but nip it in the bud, then I think that that provides a, a wonderful just, just place to grow together and love one another. So it's got to be gospel-centered. There's got to be a graciousness to each other. And even as you deal with the sin of each other, it's got to be done gently, kindly, uh, sensitively, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. So I think it's important that um, the gospel and a graciousness characterize the home. Yeah, we read um, When Sinners Say I Do really early on, I think in um, seminary, I read that. And so for me to constantly remember or to have the mentality that I'm the biggest sinner in my marriage and that my husband's actually on my team, we're not like against each other. We're We're both on the same team and um, your love of Christ really has to undergird everything and have a teachable heart. And then there's obvious scriptures in your life that are really big ones. I mean, James 4 has been really big for me. I remember James and I, we were having a tiff about, this was years ago, we were having a tiff about, I wanted a desk because I get on the couch and I surround myself with all of my books. And so he's kind of going, oh, you won't use it. You won't use a desk. And so we were kind of at each other. And then he goes, oh, this is such a James four moment. But he wasn't talking to me. He was doing that for his own heart. And I'm like, he's right. Like, what's happening in my heart here? What do I desire that I'm willing to fight and quarrel for the desire of my heart that I'm willing to run my husband over because I want a desk, right? So there's just been certain passages of scripture that have been really huge in undergirding our marriage and conflict resolution and... um yeah, just understanding we're on the same team. Just to give you an update on that, there is a desk. <laughs> I, bet, I bet there is. <laughs> we know how that turned out. <laughs> Caleb, Caleb is the one that monopolizes it. He was right. Uh, I can, I don't use it. <laughs> that is funny. Well, I'll tell you what. On that note, I got a question for you. A, um, I, I would love to know. Are you willing to do a bullet round? We've already, we've already held you up for an hour. So, I mean, an extra minute. Are you Absolutely. sure? Absolutely. All right. So yeah. what we're going to do is we're going to throw out, get ready for some Jeopardy music, number one, just to get in the spirit. So Ethan, I don't know if you got your, your Jeopardy music. We're going to try to get us all in the Q&A mood. 
There you go. Good. Aaron's dancing. See, you and Aaron can, you guys can dance. So what we're going to do is we're going to throw out a word and then you just give whatever your first instinct response is to now to overflow the heart to mouth speak. So we're going to learn a lot about you with these things. Okay. All right. Do you want me to go first? You you I'll go first. Okay. You ready? Here we go. Just for the record, I don't know if I'm going to be good at this game. I'm too analytical. <laughs> that might be funny. That might be funny. I will so try. I will I'm going to throw a word out, and you just just tell me what comes to mind. Here we go. One, two, three. Praline. Ice cream. <laughs> you are analytical. <laughs> okay, here's the Hold next on. One. I got to ask oh, another one. Yeah, I got go. another one. All right, right. Just just for fun. Calves. Calves. Oh. I want to hear Aaron's response to calves. Athleticism. <laughs> I love it. Okay, here's the next one. Cats. Oh, yes. Yes. See, I ask that every time. And they love me. Oh. They, they absolutely love me. They're always coming up and rubbing on me. I you can't just made my heart explode to know there's a, like a full couple, a nuclear home out there. Because usually we ask and the couple's divided on those devilish creatures and you guys are with me. I am, I am encouraged. Oh, you're up next. Oh, my turn. Justin Trudeau. Oh. <laughs> the sound um, is good. A lot could be said about Justin Trudeau. Um, I will- He's a tyrant. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, unimpressive first Timothy two on this so that I don't say anything I shouldn't say pray for them or don't, don't rejoice when your enemy falls. I've had to really keep that at the forefront, but he's got it's hard to say a lot that's positive about, about judgment. Justin Trudeau. There you go. He's judgment. Um, he's, he's a sign of judgment. Certainly under the judgment of God. Um, <laughs> one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Enough okay. said. Okay. Next one. Marriage. Oh, I think like best friends. That's what I, the first word that came to. Just gets better oh, and better. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Here's the last one. Christ. Oh, he's Glory. everything. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, Glorious. Yeah. I like that. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, Hey, the word that comes to mind, you know, for both Bree and I, when we think about you guys is biblical, you know, like, Every word you say is biblical, your undying commitment to Christ and to the church and the word. And we're just truly honored to call you friends. And I'm still not sure about the praline thing, but but in general, I I, I want to say we're, we really feel honored to call you guys friends. Yes. And so thank you for giving up your time. And you guys have inspired countless people, including us, just by your faithfulness. And it's been a privilege to pray for you at the dinner table for these last uh, year and a half. And yes, we just love you guys so much. Thank you. So, well, thank you for your support and your affection and your prayers. I mean, you guys have been an immense encouragement to both of us personally. And so we're just grateful to know you guys and get to know you guys and and to have your support all the way there in California. And, and, And even to, you know, extend your support to us prior to even really knowing who we were, you know, I mean, that. Our hearts were knit together. Amen. Well, let's do this again. Let's do this again. And then if I sometimes show up randomly at the door, I, I, I want to hear you singing to me as you come down the stairs. Like, what our neighbors think. Because oh, we're so loud. Like, I'm always, I'm always singing something loud. I love that. Not good. Well, and I'll, I'll, I'll put loud. on, like, my hockey coach voice sometimes, so... Like last night, I was listening to a, a, a political debate, and so when when one of the candidates says something really good, I, I like hoot and holler. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we'll close it with that, just so everyone has that picture in their mind of you upstairs yelling in your hockey voice and the neighbors calling the police. We love you guys. We love you. Love you guys right. too. Oh, it was so good. Well, it is time for our drive home segment. Um, But someone told me, honey, by the way, that our car issue doesn't make any sense to having the car sound here because if people are coming into the house, then we shouldn't be driving away. That's so true. (laughs) And then what I told him, I said, well, we're at a restaurant. And he said, well, then why the doorbell? Oh my goodness, that's so funny. (laughs) I think if everyone just accepts that I'm not a podcaster, then we'll be fine. My job (laughs) is studying the Bible, so it's not going to be super slick. What was your big takeaway from that wonderful time with the Coats? 
honestly, they are just wonderful, fun people. I learned from their examples in many ways. Um, first, their, their speech, it shows beyond a doubt that they know who they are in Christ. Mm-hmm. And their actions, they show that they walk humbly with their God. And, and bubbling out of them is this joy of the Lord, which is their strength. And I'll just add, their passionate love for the bride of Christ is so evident in every conversation, in every post. And I just, I love and appreciate them so much. How about you? And the time I've had with them, I'm struck by their boldness. I think most everyone would agree with that. When they speak, they speak the Bible, but it's immediate without hesitation or apology. And it just flows out. And that's what I've always felt about James. But even then watching Erin on Tucker Carlson, she, she was on fire too. And even in that clip that we played, which got cut off, she finished with something on lines of, I think, you know, God's arch enemy is a attacking the church because the church is the bride of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it was just, it's always fearless. It's unapologetic. It's unwavering truth. Yes. That seems like a perfect takeaway for all of us. I think it is. It it really is what the Coates' story can stir in all of us, a holy boldness. I mean, we want to enjoy marriage, but even more than that, we want our marriages to magnify Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And we want to look at these few short years we have on earth, five seconds on this little ball of dirt, and use our gifts, our time, our money, our kids, and really just say, how can I best steward all of this for the glory of God? Amen. Well, let's pray, okay, Date Night family? Heavenly Father, the words of Jesus come immediately to mind. Blessed are you when people insult and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And the coats have exemplified that for all of us. So help us to be bold too, uh, in our homes, in our marriages, in our schools, in our workplaces, in the public square. Uh, And even one day, if we have to be in prison, please, Lord, may the truth of Jesus overflow our hearts and burst from our lips. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Date Night family, know that we love you. We are praying for you. Please message us anytime and leave a review so that the pod hits a few more friends. Yes. And a big thank you to For the Gospel and Mission Bible. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family. family.